This is an ABC podcast. This is The Conversation Hour with Rochelle Hunt on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Now, did you actually know that there is a vaccination passport pilot program being considered as we speak by the federal government? Modelling for how it could work and how it could look actually started on Monday. Now, the idea is that vaccinated Australians could travel to countries like the UK, Canada, Singapore and even the States. And get this, it could begin in as soon as six weeks. So that means, given that I'm getting my first Pfizer vaccination tomorrow and the second one in around three weeks, I could potentially go to London before I could see my family in Terelgan. Regional travel is still off the table but international travel is on the table. So is this just a huge incentive to get people vaccinated and maybe that's why they're setting up a pilot program? And what would it mean for the 40-odd thousand Australians that remain stranded overseas? Could we send them vaccines so they could get a vaccine passport? But I know for many of you, as you're listening to this right now, a huge number of us have got family overseas and the time and the distance it has been since you've seen those loved ones is taking a toll. We're watching those that we love grow up or grow old and frail on FaceTime. So maybe you are running around and packing your bags as we speak. What do you think? Vaccine passport, what would it look like? Would you feel comfortable to travel in as soon as six weeks? And if you had a vaccine passport, do you feel like it's too soon or is it simply about time? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Australians who have been vaccinated against COVID could be able to leave the country and return with less strict quarantine requirements in a plan that is being trialled that is being modelled as we speak, possibly within six weeks. The Federal Health Minister, Greg Hunt, revealed the proposal in the Coalition Party Room on Tuesday. So is this simply just a carrot to entice people to get vaccinated? Or does it mean that we could be travelling with a vaccination passport sooner than we anticipated? Freya Higgins-Debioles is a senior lecturer in tourism management at the University of South Australia. Freya... Is this really happening? I had to reread the facts about this multiple times. Yes, Rochelle, I am really um, as confused as anyone about this. We're living in very complex times and trying to get our head around it is going to be difficult. But we've had international travel um, curtailed for so long, as well as our industries like hospitality, which we depend upon. So we're trying to strike that balance between safety in the pandemic and freedom um, and liberties for our populations. And it is quite complex. So what would a vaccine passport look like, do you think? How would it actually work so that it would benefit the people that needed it the most? Or is it just going to be something that the privileged will benefit from? Well, that's a concern of mine. You know, health health certificates to travel are not unusual. We've had them issued by bodies like the World Health Organization, and I, in fact, have one um, that I have kept. And they're used for things like yellow fever. So it's not completely out of the... um, the realm of experience of what we've had. But with these vaccine passports, what we're talking about are digital documents that will um, 
secure a person's vaccine status and possibly allow them to travel to places without having to go through the quarantine, though there still might be measures like COVID tests. That's that's a given in these uh, times. And there might be other restrictions with it. But that's basically what we're talking about. Um, I think the issue with equality, though, is really worth thinking about. The head of the World Health Organization has said we're in a danger of a moral failure because countries that are wealthy and privileged like Australia have taken even larger than their share of vaccine um, and they're developing countries that can't access any vaccine while we're complaining about how poorly our rollout has been. So the COVAX facility is... uh, used by the World Health Organization to try to help distribute the vaccine more fairly. But I think we do need to think about this, that, you know, our ability to travel may be made earlier um, than the countries that we actually want to visit. So we also have moral obligations to to care about them um, and their safety and also Mm. the ability of their economies to prosper. Freya, while we have you, let's speak to Dean. He's in Mitcham. Dean, what do you think? Oh, hi. Um, thanks for taking my call. Um, just, I, I support the idea of vaccination passport, but honestly, I can't see how it's going to work unless you've got a very, very high level of vaccination um, of the population in, in each, um, or proportion of the population in each country that you're travelling in and out from. Because if you're vaccinated, you can still pick up the virus and and bring it back and be asymptomatic. And unless you're actually going to go into quarantine under those circumstances, you still have potential to bring in the virus into the country. So what what does the guest mm. think about that? And I just, Dean, before I get Freya to comment on that, would you do it, Dean? Like, seriously, if you had the means, is it too soon or is it about time? I think it's too soon because if you think about Australia, we've only got, what, you know, 5% of the country vaccinated. And if you think about, um, you know, the other countries in the world where it's, you know, the vac- where the uh, virus is highly prevalent, then I think it's way too soon. Dean, thank you. Freya, do you agree with Dean? How much does it rely on the country that we're talking about that you visit? Yes, um, it definitely does. And Dean's logic makes absolute sense. So it is high vaccination rates on the country sending and also receiving. And so that really must be our our emphasis here is vaccinations going around the world with great availability um, and sharing it. And that's what the World Health Organization um, is looking at. I note the World Health Organization at the moment is not supporting vaccine um, health certificates or passports currently, and they have a working group looking at it so that these very details can be ironed out. But I will note, too, um, that one of the countries with the highest vaccination rates is the Seychelles, and it tried in March to say that it would be one of the first to open to international tourists because it had such a high vaccination rate of its population. So we have difficulties with countries such as the Seychelles, which are tourism dependent and really keen um, to get their economies back open Mm. to international visitors because of that vulnerability. Well, Bali has said the same thing. They were talking about the end of July needing to open it up. We know that Bali's economy is based on tourism. So what about places like Bali or, or Indonesia? I mean, I'm not even sure what their vaccination rate is like there in terms of their population and, and how it's going. Would something like that be too risky? Well, it's it's a balance 
between the risk and um, the need for the economy to open up because you might die of hunger faster than you'll die of COVID. Um, so this is an issue, you know, and I really hope we think going forward about all communities around the world, including within Australia, not making themselves vulnerable by being overly dependent upon tourism. And I note that, you know, New Zealand's actually looking at that, to look at communities such as Queenstown in the, on the South Island about how vulnerable they are because of the dependency upon international tourism and trying to change that to get a good balance of happening. And as Australians, we should be thinking about that. We've always called Bali our holiday island, um, and we should have, you know, sympathy and solidarity with them, I believe. This text is along the lines of saying, oh, Rochelle, come on, it's just the federal government trying to keep up with the rest of the world and big countries. In the world where my friends overseas, such as the US and Europe and Switzerland, they're allowed to travel now. Australia is just lagging. And we've seen people that live in the UK going and holidaying in Portugal at the moment. Are we just lagging? Well, we're certainly behind in the vaccine rollout, but I think that we we could be proud of ourselves that we're in a unique situation to not be desperate. So what I would encourage is public conversation about our choices and to make sure that we're supporting, for instance, vulnerable businesses and vulnerable workers um, to come out of this in the best shape that we can. Um, so, yes, we are not um, doing what the U.S. is doing, but, you know, the U.S. really has lost a lot of lives um, and has paid a heavy price for for poor policy. Uh, we followed public health advice, and I think that that's a really good thing. Um, and our economy will probably be stronger as a result of this, that we've we've made sound decisions that have been based upon science. Um, and I think we just have to, to be patient but participate in the conversations about the balance between our freedom, our ability to have our industry prosper, yet lives lost, you know. Yes, we've paid a price economically, but we've also had so much fewer deaths. And the families, you know, each of those individuals matters very much. Freya Higgins-Debbie Oles is with you, Senior Lecturer in Tourism Management at the University of South Australia. Lee's in Drysdale. Lee, what do you think? My question is regarding being fully vaccinated within Australia and being able to travel freely in Australia. We will be fully vaccinated by the beginning of next month. August, we are, have booked a trip to Darwin and Northern Territory. I rang the Northern Territory hotline yesterday and we were told that if a situation such as existing in Melbourne at the moment, if we would be immediately put into Howard Springs quarantine for two weeks. So even though we, may, we will be fully vaccinated, travel within Australia is still basically off the cards. So you think maybe we should try and organise and, and make it clearer what we can do within our own country before we look overseas? Absolutely. And nobody is talking about this because within the next month, a lot more people are going to be fully vaccinated, particularly in our age group, uh, and wanting to travel and have booked trips. And yet, as happened uh, last week, you know, people, Victorians on the Garn were taken off 
and put into two weeks quarantine. Now, if you're fully vaccinated, and we will also have a, a COVID test 24 hours before we leave, and yet we are still in the position when we if travelling interstate where if something like this happens again in our home state, doesn't matter whether it's Victoria or any other, that you could be just thrown into hotel quarantine, lose your holiday, have to pay for it, and nobody is talking about this. So it's freedom within, in our yeah. own Well, country. we're talking about it now, Lee. Good on you. Great to hear from you. If you had, a, in inverted commas, a vaccine passport, would you travel in something like six to eight weeks? Is it too soon? Or are there family and friends where you think, you know what, whatever happens at the other end and however the you know however I have to quarantine when I come back, I will do that. There's a text here from Julie in Thornbury that says, I'm having my second Pfizer in 17 days. I haven't seen my family in Ireland for nearly two years and I'm missing them terribly, especially my dad. My uncle died a couple of weeks ago and it was devastating not to be able to go back for his funeral to be with my family. And over 15 years of living here, I've never felt so far away. Bring on anything that gets me home faster, I say. But also let our citizens overseas come home. And yes, let's help other countries that need more vaccines too. The world has to work together to get through this. And equity is not front and centre and it should be right now. We need proper quarantine facilities. So let's get on with it for everybody's sake. That's from Julie. Freya, just finally, there would be a lot of people in regional Victoria listening right now, so frustrated, infuriated with the fact that we're potentially talking about going to Ireland or going to the United States when we can't even get people from Melbourne travelling to regional Victoria. Do we not need to think locally first or is there a way of combining both local and global? Well, I'd like to say that Julie's comment was just excellent. That I know, was a wasn't beautiful it? contribution, <laughs> yes. Um, all I can say in this craziness of the times that sometimes I think we forget that we're living through a global pandemic. And when we look at history with the Spanish flu, we can look at that Spanish influenza. We can look at that and understand how extraordinary it was for that era and how it was um, systems changing as a result of it. But for us now, because we're living through it on a daily basis, we sometimes lose that perspective of just how extraordinary this is. And I think we could just take a moment to look and reflect on how much we've taken for granted about how good our systems and globalization and our freedom have worked, and now they're curtailed so we can really appreciate what we had before. I don't think there's easy answers through this, and it is a mess. It's extraordinary complex. And, yeah, I just encourage people to take care of themselves keep up hope, <laughs> keep up the connections, and don't lose um, the perspective that we'll get through this. But it's it's just going to be a difficult um, another year, perhaps. Freya, you've got family dotted all around the globe. Would you travel in six to eight weeks if you were given the all clear, if you were given the vaccination passport? You know, I don't think I would because I think it's going to be difficult for someone like me. I'm in a category of being a little bit older and health-constrained. Um, and I think travel is going to be much more difficult than it has been in the past. 
Um, so, you know, I would wait till things smooth down. But having said that, for other people, I fully understand that you've got loved ones overseas, you're missing out on things. And that's one thing about Australia is that um, a good percentage of our population is foreign born. So, you know, we do feel these attachments very strongly. I can understand why people would be very eager to get back on planes. And, you know, there is that wandering bug that we have, that we love to see the world. I know a lot of people are missing that freedom um, and that curiosity that comes from, from traveling the world. So I, I really appreciate that we're all struggling and that this has been extraordinarily hard. And I know for people in Melbourne and regional Victoria, that there's mental health aspects to this this lockdown, and they cannot be negated. I think we're going to come out of this with some elements of trauma, um, and we have to be acknowledging that and truthful about that. These are not easy times, and we, we need to take care of each other. Absolutely. We spoke about it that at length yesterday, so you, people can go back and, and listen to the conversation where we looked at trauma and the effects of, of long-term pandemics. Freya, thanks so much for your insights. Oh, Rochelle, thank you so much. Howard's in Terelgan. Howard, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with a number of the callers so far in the sense that we should introduce the uh, vaccinated passport, but both domestically and internationally. And on the international one, have a COVID test before boarding the flight to return and a COVID test on returning and then 14 days isolation at home. And I can't understand why we just don't send a whole batch of vaccinations across to Australians who are overseas, get them vaccinated and yes. bring them back within the same system. I know. I thought the same thing, Howard. If we're talking about this, well, okay, I think there's around 40,000 people that can't currently get home and we're looking at the amount of vaccinations that are happening on a daily basis in Victoria at the moment. And if in six to eight weeks, if you're fully vaccinated, you can travel. Can't we just send, I mean, maybe I'm simplifying this, Howard, I don't know, but can't we just send these vaccines to people that need to come back? Can't the passport oh. work in reverse? Or redirect the ones that we're importing to those people, whichever way is the easiest. But, yeah, it doesn't make sense why we haven't sorted that out as well. Howard, thanks so much. This, my brother lives in the Seychelles. He told me that even though 60% of people there are fully vaccinated, there was recently an outbreak of just around 1,000 cases from an unknown source. Alex says, I'd be very happy to travel to Singapore to see my family as my wife and I are now vaccinated. I have no problems with a vaccine passport. I'd be happy to come back and to home quarantine, even with strict monitoring, including a monitoring device. But Matt, who's in Ballarat, says, I actually find this a bit frustrating. I acknowledge that I don't have friends or family overseas, but I feel like the government maybe should sort out their domestic vaccination and quarantine program before they focus on international travel. Leah Rupiner is the Associate Professor of Sociology. She is the co-director of the Policy Lab at the University of Melbourne. And missing her family greatly, Leah, listening to this, given, I guess, your own personal opinion, but then also your professional opinion, what would you do? Are you packing your bags? I need to tell you something very important. I turned 40 this week. Happy birthday. Thank you. Which means I was able to get my jab on Tuesday. So I am vaccinated and American all at the same time. So this is like a real conundrum for me. Um, I think it's an interesting question. I love the feedback that's coming through. I like um, the discussion about this being complicated. I think the question is going to be 
how does Australia open its borders safely and efficiently? And actually having this type of passport and sending people to countries with high rates of vaccination and for people who would come back and self-quarantine, as some of the callers have said, you know, going to Singapore and then coming back and spending two weeks in quarantine seems like a reasonable first step in terms of international travel. That question around domestic travel, that question around, you know, hotel quarantines and, and vaccination distribution, I think is important and critical and equally important. But just thinking about international travel, it seems like a first open step. How do you then also determine who can get the passport? If we're looking at maybe people that need to come home or people that on compassionate grounds need to go, but it's really expensive to be able to fly internationally at the moment. So is this going to be more that people that want to go skiing in Aspen, to <laughs> was a terrible term, that that can in six to eight weeks? Or is it those that, you know, I've, I've got a girlfriend, for example, that over the last 18 months, her father is in the UK. He's had a stroke and she's been given a breast cancer cancer diagnosis and they haven't seen each other. But can she afford to fly home? I'm not sure. So who gets the passport here? You're raising like such an important question, right? Like, is this going to be something where just those who have the money and the resources can go and do what they need? Or is this going to be something that's allocated in a way that's, um, you know, benchmarks these kind of bigger concerns about death and illness and being there in the final days. Like that, I think is a really important question. I want to just highlight one thing like that came through on the other caller is that I think for many, this pandemic is creating a healthcare, a mental health crisis. I'm seeing that in myself. I'm seeing that in the students that are coming through with me at the university. You know, there is um, a trauma that is being realized or felt now, even though, quote unquote, you know, we opened up months ago. So I would say that this is a very important concern that we should be benchmarking people's, you know, um, demands in this way. However, may I just request that we reduce our judgment just for a little bit about who gets to go where and when and how and why, in part because I think there's a lot of suffering that's happening holistically. And if, you know, I'm not saying a week in Aspen because God, who can afford to go to Aspen, but like, you, know, you just don't know what people are going through around their kind of physical demands and their emotional and their mental demands. And so I just would say at this moment in time, let's just pause our judgment, but make sure those who have those kind of legitimate caregiving demands or those very serious needs to go abroad to give them primacy. But then let's be a little less judgmental about those who are going for other reasons that may be mental health related um, as we start to open up. Leah, let's have a chat to Larry. He's in East Bentley. Larry, what do you think? Well, I, I was just uh, thinking that uh, one of the issues is if you give somebody a passport, what is the validity of that passport and, and how can you control those passports? I've just started working on a on bringing a new rapid antigen test into Australia from Europe. And part of the, in fact, the advantage of having this test is that it comes with a QR code. And we've seen the QR code now is... Um, virtually going to be mandated for visiting um, stores, etc. So why not use that QR code in the same way to uh, connect it to the test or any test in the future? So you can have um, a certificate that says you've had the test. Um, it takes about five minutes to get a, um, an accurate result from the test. You can then um, attach that test to that particular person. They get it a certificate that says you have a test, you're negative, that test is valid for 24 hours, 
you can travel both in and out of Australia on that basis. It seems to me that's that that's would be an something idea. That could yeah. Be really good. Good on you, Larry. Thank you. I actually love some of the ideas that we all come up with. And I think this is the thing as we sit around of an evening and we think, okay, well, if I was in charge, what would I do? And, and what would this look like? There's so many texts of people saying, well, look, I haven't seen my partner who's overseas for 17 months. We've had seven applications for travel exemptions are all denied. We need a solution. This is painful for us and many other families. Maybe a vaccine passport is the answer. I am not in an eligible group for the vaccines and his country is as slow as Australia at getting vaccinated. So we need to get everybody vaccinated and fast. That's from debt. Leah Rupiner, I guess that's the other thing too, is that we're looking at a vaccine passport. Well, then that's ageist. You know what's interesting? I'm, I'm, um, I'm thinking about, I have a colleague who is an epidemiologist, and he actually is an expert on the flu, the 1918 flu. And I remember being graduate student and thinking, why is anyone studying the 1918 flu? And then, right, like 2020 comes, and it's like, thank God people have been studying this. And one of the things, the people at the LA Times call him Dr. Doom, because he always comes in with bad, <laughs> with bad news. Um <laughs> So one of the things he keeps saying is, like, let's not expect that this is going to disappear. Fauci came and talked to Australia specifically through the University of Melbourne, too, and said, you can't keep your borders closed forever. Like, you are eventually going to have to open up and deal with this, in part because, as other people have been raising, like, this is a virus that's going to mutate and change, and therefore there is no foolproof bullet to eradicate it. So everything is a trade. And much like the 1918 flu, that it's about kind of working its way through our immunity, building herd immunity, and eventually it becomes something like that. So so I think one of the challenges is how long do we keep our borders closed? What is the consequences of that? How do we have an effective vaccine rollout? Like you're saying, okay, this is kind of ageist, right? Because it's only 40 above, people have vulnerability. So how do you equalize access to that? How do we put our resources into that? But in addition to that, there has to be a strategy for allowing people to move in and out of the country in ways in which don't put the population at risk, but also have this care and compassion component. I don't think we've done that well. I think it's been her sealing everything up, right? Can I say one more thing? Sorry, I'm going to like rant on this. I know. Um, but tell me this, Leah, when we get off this conversation, are you going to seriously contemplate it? Like, would, would you go back home? Are there people you want to see? Are there people you want to hug? Oh, my God. Well, my dad just called me and said, are you going to come home for Thanksgiving? Like, can we meet somewhere for Thanksgiving? And I thought, oh, this, like, put me into a deep depression for a day. And we do have relatives that are there that are, you know, are 95 and, uh, you know, very old and have, we would like to go. So I think, to be honest with you, yes, it could be done in a way that doesn't put the beautiful people of Australia at, at risk, right? Like, not my own selfish acts, but people at risk. But yes, I think I would go. I'd hop on a plane tomorrow to anywhere if I could. But we just can't get to Phillip Island at the moment, but we might be able to. (laughs) (laughs) I would go to Phillip Island. That's it. Leah, thanks so much for your time. Take care. Thank you. Leah Rupiner, she's the Associate Professor of Sociology, the Co-Director of the Policy Lab at the University of Melbourne. I know it's been a really busy and crazy couple of weeks, and this has sort of just slipped through a little bit, that... The federal government is currently working on a model, on a pilot program that could potentially see something that looks like a vaccine passport allow us to travel to certain countries, to selected countries, in something like six to eight weeks. So how do you feel about that? Is it too soon? Is it too late? 
If we can't travel to regional Victoria, if we're seeing businesses that go under, that are struggling, that are needing people from Melbourne and so forth for us to be able to travel backwards and forwards, is thinking about overseas just ludicrous or is it about time? This text, I've had my second jab in two weeks' time. I haven't seen my parents in the UK for several years now. I would love to get back there as soon as I can. They've had multiple health scares in the last two years. I would happily do quarantine, wear a device, whatever it is, as long as I could actually get back and see them. Many people talking about being able to travel again for work. So maybe for work, this is something that would really work for you as well. Richard is in Melbourne. Richard, welcome. Yes, good morning. I'm in uh, quarantine in Melbourne for uh, two weeks. I'm a fully vaccinated international airline pilot who works in Hong Kong. And How's quarantine whole going? It's, it's fine. I've done, uh, it's my third lot of quarantine in two weeks this year. I've been in hotel quarantine for about 85 days this year. I've been in quarantine through my job as an airline pilot for uh, probably 150 days last year. So it's something I'm very used to. So if anyone's going to need a vaccination passport that maybe changes some of those quarantine procedures that you have to go through, it's going to be someone like you, you would think, Richard. What do you think? Well, I don't think it's that essential. I mean, you get issued a vaccination card each time you go through being vaccinated. That should be enough. It should be proof that you've had an approved vaccine that's accepted by the WHO. And uh, the authorities should recognise it. I'll just make a point. I just arrived here a week ago. Not one single person at the airport in the health system or even with the Australian travel declaration form we had to fill out before arriving here questioned or asked if I was fully vaccinated. That's a failing. So then how would a vaccine passport work if we can't get those basics right? Well, it just shows you how behind the government is with recognising there's Australians overseas who want to come back in, who need to come back in, but they, if they're vaccinated, they should just have a sensible system of either home quarantine or test on arrival here. And after one day, if you get a negative COVID test, that you should be released back to go home and either isolate at home or just be allowed to carry on with life in Australia. Is it being done anywhere well? Is there a vaccination passport? And I know, look, that's just a term that's being used, but it's so we all understand what we're talking about. But is there a country that's doing it well? I, I don't think um, a passport's essential, but if you have proof of vaccination, that should be sufficient. Okay. How much longer are you in, are you in um, quarantine for, Richard? Yeah, I'm over hump day. I've done seven days and seven days to go. How do you pass the time during the day? I mean, how, how much can you binge on Netflix? And, I mean, what, what are you doing? It must be driving yes, you. Yes, I've done, done Netflix. Insane. Yeah, you do exercise. I've got a, a routine of exercises through YouTube workouts and just uh, running around the room. I have uh, plenty of books and other activities and keeping in contact with friends and family overseas and in Australia. And how many people are flying at the moment? How full are the planes that you're on? Yeah, very depressing. Uh, I flew down from Hong Kong via Singapore. I think there were 20 people from Hong Kong to Singapore. But then from Singapore to Melbourne, 10 people. And this is on a Boeing 787. And that carries 380 people. It's just depressing seeing Australia has caps on people. They could even decide about if they have vaccinated travellers, they should be exempt from the cap. So you should try and maximise the amount of people coming into Australia. But the government doesn't discern between vaccinated and unvaccinated. And that's the key issue. It's so focused on micromanaging small details in Australia and the Australian response. 
They're forgetting about Australian citizens overseas. You know, Australian citizens who are stuck in India, that's a tragic situation. But there's also Australians around the world, Hong Kong, Singapore, America, UK, Europe, that also should be considered, and I think they've forgotten them, and just don't appreciate the stress that causes. How long have you been an international pilot for? Uh, 20 years working in Asia. Throughout this whole pandemic, I've been flying all over the world and seeing the different responses in different countries. And I think Australia's been commended, should be commended for the approach for suppressing it. But at the same time, the economy is um, is affected and Australian citizens living and working over abroad who can't see family are affected dramatically. I haven't seen my daughter for 12 months. This is the first time I'll be able to get back to Australia to see my daughter and my family. So you're about to go and see them? In a week's time. Oh. I'm very happy. Oh, I could imagine. Richard, it's, it's so fascinating to speak with you. I know last year one of the programs that we did that had the biggest impact on me was just hearing the passion for those that work within the airline industry and how many were, to use their terms or your term, hanging up their wings because it's just something that they didn't see to be viable for them for the future. Did you ever it consider is. hanging up your wings? Well, I work for a Hong Kong-based airline, and there's a lot of expatriates up there from Australia, and a lot of guys are hanging out their wings, leaving a good job to come back and be with their families. So they're actually giving up active jobs in active service, whereas they could be flying if they wanted to, but they've chosen to uh, reunite their families and, and get the families back together and reduce that family separation that uh, this whole uh, pandemic has produced. I've been lucky. I've been flying cargo aircraft, 747 cargo aircraft, so we've been extremely busy and haven't had the impact of passengers, but our company has about 140 aircraft, wide-body aircraft parked around the world, um, idle, mm. with no passengers. Oh, well, I'm so glad you get to uh, hug your daughter and see your family, Richard. Thanks for your time. And Thank you very much. You've got ABC Radio to, to keep you company as well while you're quarantining. So. I'll keep listening. Thank you. Good on you, mate. Thank you. Bye. If you could get a vaccine passport, would you take it? I mean, some are saying it's just a press release. It's not a passport. But if you could go and see family, if it meant that you could hug a loved one, if you could cook a meal together, if you could do something, even if the quarantine at the other end meant all sorts of different things, would you do it? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. If the vaccine passport is fair income and it is rolled out in something like six to eight weeks, would you use it? Would you travel to one of the countries that may be listed as a place we can travel to? Robin's in Berwick. Robin, would you go? Uh, Rochelle, yes, yeah, certainly would, Rochelle, being a bit bold and courageous. I have friends in northern France, so I've been following things a little bit over there. And... Um, and I'm also of the age where I can remember having, the, as many of your listeners would, the yellow um, health card from many years ago when we, we had to have vaccinations to go here or there. And you just carried it. It was part of the check-in process. Not difficult. Um, so it's almost like a version of that you think we could, we could yes, make work. Yes, and I think, um, I think there's a lot of people in, well, dare I say, decision-making areas who don't have the experience, they don't have the memory and they don't have the creative thinking. And I think, was it Richard before the pilot you were talking to? Yeah. Yeah, I think PM for Richard or Richard for PM. <laughs> Pilots are just always so smart, aren't they? And just and well Freya before, centered. I thought she was... Yeah, um, I guess they're very, she was they're very important. I tuned in later. But the, who would you go and see, Robin? About it, then who, who would you go and visit? Pardon? Who would you go and visit if you would travel internationally? A small village in the northeast of France near the battlefields area where I made some wonderful friends about two years ago. 
and uh, they've obviously been through the throes all over and friend in London as well and um, there are all variations of the possible going on over there so if people want to look up vaccine passports it's not hard to find uh, as to what they're proposing and making decisions on it I think some have even come up with a final version at this stage. No, it's all a pilot. Yeah, well, it is a pilot program. Robin, thank you. Being vaccinated doesn't stop you from being a carrier. A vaccination passport won't help the issue of bringing the virus, says this text. And we know that travel bubbles have also been considered for parts of the Pacific Islands. We know that we have one with New Zealand. But Craig Tansley is a travel writer. He's based on the Gold Coast but was raised in the Cook Cook Islands, still has a number of family members living there, including his dad, who works closely with the Cook Islands Tourism Board. Craig... I guess there's the travel passport to go to places like the UK and the, and the States and Canada and Singapore, but then there's the travel bubble with the Pacific Islands. Should we be focusing on that more, given how close they are to us as neighbours? Well, definitely. I think it's a good um, it's a good option, and it's so close. Um, I mean, I'm I'm all for those other places. I my in-laws live in uh, in Chicago, so I'm I'm hanging out to get to America. But I think in the meantime, I mean, these travel bubbles like it's been working well so far with New Zealand and Australia. Uh, sorry, New Zealand and the Cook Islands. And you know, it's, if it can be done right, it certainly gets us you know back into places that we can't otherwise get to. What sort of pressure does it put on places like the Cook Islands or Vanuatu or wherever it may be where, you know, maybe the the hospital infrastructure or the health infrastructure isn't like what we would have here in Australia where maybe the population isn't highly vaccinated and we know that there are some bigger socioeconomic issues. Does it not put too much pressure onto some sections of the community in the Pacific Islands? Well, that's, I mean, that's the main issue, of course. And I mean, with the Cook Islands, like when they have introduced, uh, like the travel bubble starting with New Zealand, they they made sure, or they're in the process of getting everyone vaccinated. So they've been. I mean, the Cook Islands is much easier because you've only got ten thousand people living in Rarotonga, and about fourteen or fifteen thousand living across all the islands. And and the only the only places that people are going to go to really at the moment are Rarotonga and Aitutaki, the two sort of main islands. So they've sort of got they've got a much easier way of of uh, controlling it and also, uh, you know, the New Zealand Prime Minister was saying that as soon as there's any kind of chance that um, that there's an outbreak or anything, everyone comes back to New Zealand. So it would be something that the New Zealand government and the New Zealand Health um, Department sort of have to deal with, right? Because, yeah, I mean, in the Cook Islands, it's uh, a lot more advanced than a lot of other places in the Pacific, but you still... Um, still, you know, the hospital system is not, not particularly great. A, a few of my brothers and I were, were born up there and my mum could tell you some stories about that. Yeah. There's a few people that are now mentioning the, the yellow card that you used to have to travel. And Brenda says, listening to this conversation about vaccine passports has made me think that it wasn't that long ago that we all had to carry our yellow immunisation books. How can we even think about six weeks to travel overseas when we can't even get to other states uh, within our own country? I guess looking down the track a little bit, and I know this is glass ball for you, Craig, but will we start to see something like a yellow book, immunisation book, as just a part of what we now will have to carry with us, like our passport when we travel? I Yeah, I, I mean, personally, I think so. I think that's the way it's going to have to be. And I think, 
um, there's just no other way that I can see sort of in the in the foreseeable future that there's any other way but that to do it. And we've been, I mean, I've been a travel journalist for 20 years and I I have to be immunised for all sorts of things. And, you know, I, I, I was immunised twice for yellow fever injections, uh, yellow fever. And both times I got it, I actually found out in the countries that I went to and the provinces that I went to that I didn't actually even need it. So I was getting all these unnecessary jabs but I didn't mind because I just sort of thought well that's part Better of to have it <laughs> yeah yeah well, I'd rather have it and I'd also rather sort of turn up in these countries and not find out that suddenly uh oh I can't get in because mm-hmm. of it and I think that's pretty much the same with with COVID is just it's just going to be the only way forward because it's not going to go away entirely and I think the only way that we're going to be able to get around the world at the moment is is with this system I think so is it too soon to open Bali up? I know there was talk of, of Bali trying to open up by the end of July, I think it was. Wow, well, yeah, you see, I don't know. I, I, I'd have to say, you know, I'm all for it and all, but I'd be more hesitant about places like that just because I find the South Pacific is so easy to control because you're talking about tiny islands in the middle of huge ocean, whereas, you know, with Indonesia, you've just got such a new heavy, well, such a big influx of, of population. And, you, yeah, you're talking about massive, massive populations. So I think it's a lot, a lot harder to control it than when you're out in the South Pacific. There's just the, the influx of people is much easier to control. There's, you know, there's small, generally small population, very small populations. And, uh, yeah, it's just, a, it's just a lot easier to control everything, I think, out there when you when you're sort of looking at whether or not people are immunised, uh, you know, vaccinated, sorry, whether whether or not people are, are coming in with other, with COVID, I just think it's a lot easier to control in the South Pacific than in Southeast Asia. Do you think it'll happen, Craig? Is this something that is just to try and entice people to get vaccinated? I mean, what's the likelihood of a vaccination passport actually being a reality in something as quick as six weeks? Yeah, well, I wonder about the six weeks personally, but um, I I would sort of, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be thinking that that's more of a possibility than just about anything else for the moment. Yeah. I think, <laughs> what does yeah, that tell I mean, us? <laughs> well, it's, yeah, everything else is, you know, they're talking, it was all depressing in the in the travel industry. I was in Sydney a few weeks ago and everyone, that was when the announcement was coming through that it wasn't going to be till mid next year that anyone was going to travel and the level of... Uh, despondency amongst mm-hmm. everyone in the travel industry was just so great and it just sort of seems like this is the only way forward and if people don't want to get vaccinated you know then that's totally their right but for those who are I mean we will be the first people on the plane the first plane to America because my wife can't wait to get home and see a family and you know we'd sort of certainly we'd do anything to to get back and I think there's a lot of people in that same yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, particularly with family overseas or just that are, just that are hanging out to get out and see other parts of the world. And I think, yeah, I think that's just probably going to be the way forward, I reckon. Craig, thanks for your time again. Thank you. Craig Tansley is a travel writer. He's based on the Gold Coast, raised in the Cook Islands, still got many family members there. It's interesting, isn't it? Whether or not it happens, only time will tell. If you missed the beginning of this program, you can subscribe to the Conversation Hour podcast. Just go to the ABC Listen app wherever you get your podcasts. Or maybe you weren't sure what to say today, but you'll have some thoughts about it. You can always email us. You can go to conversationhour at abc.net.au. This has been the Conversation Hour. Thanks so much for listening, and we look forward to spending time with you soon.